Hello, welcome to the Fight Sites MMA podcast. Uh, this is a special episode. It's one of our famous prediction panels for UFC 264. Uh, it's the trilogy fight between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, also co-headlined by Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Gilbert Burns. It's a very cool fight, probably a number one contender fight in the welterweight division. Uh, if we have time, we'll also be discussing um, Ilya Toporia versus Ryan Hall, a really, I, I would say, decently high-stakes featherweight fight. Uh, whoever wins is going to be jumping up a decent amount. And yeah, we're going to break down all the fighters involved and give our predictions on, on the matchups. So I'm joined by uh, my esteemed Fight Site staff members. We have, you might know him as Iggy, you might know him as Tuman, uh, but he's right here uh, on my left on my screen. And we also have uh, Shriram, my regular co host for the Fight Sites MMA podcast. And we have the strongest and handsomest. Staff member Zach Mikovsky, a longtime MMA veteran, MMA world champion, and a good writer and analyst himself. Uh, any words to say before we get going, everybody? Words. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, I just scared them into following a really strict format, and then I gave them the opportunity to be free form, and now they don't know what to do. So we're just going to get going. <laughs> we're just going to get going. But basically, we're each going to talk about the fighters involved, and then we're going to go back to the to the matchups and our predictions. So uh, starting off, just talking about Conor McGregor, uh, definitely a fighter I was invested in uh, for a long time in his career. Uh, you know, as soon as he debuted in the UFC, I was very much interested. Definitely different than anything else we had seen at that time. Uh, you know, a pressure fighter who could counter, who could kick, who was huge and athletic for the division. Um, to, enjoyed his whole run, really, even up to when he knocked out uh, Jose Aldo. I wasn't quite the the fan that I am today at that point, but I, I was big into him. And then, you know, things changed, moved up the division, had to change his game a little bit. Didn't quite work as well, but uh, there've been ups and downs since then. And of course, you know, with his personal life, um, we've learned a lot more about him as a person that made me like him less, but at this point, he's still a, a very high value fighter, high quality fighter. Um, and this is a dangerous fight. I mean, going into their first fight against Dustin Poirier, I mean, the second fight against Dustin Poirier, uh, everyone was, calling that a terrible stylistic matchup and Dustin Poirier by a lot of people is rated number one in the world at lightweight. So, you know, despite what you think of how far he may have fallen, Conor McGregor is still a, a very real threat. Um, still a huge hitter, uh, still decently composed when he's not gassed out. Just, you know, definitely some holes in his game that have been there the whole time uh, that people have had more and more time to get a read on. And physically, I think he is uh, on the decline and can't fight the way he used to. So it's limiting his tools even more, but uh, somebody that you don't want to count out, especially physically or athletically. He can definitely still surprise people, especially early. But um, yeah, that's all I have to say about him right now. I would say I think we're going to get into it more when we start discussing the matchup. Uh, Tuman, what are your, your general reads on Conor McGregor as a fighter? Well, uh, beyond, uh, uh, beyond the usual uh, staples uh, when people discuss McGregor, like, oh, his, uh, it's the left hand uh, the biggest hitter and at lightweight, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, what's interesting is that um, is how his development is kind of like defined by basically essentially him uh, coming up with stuff to make his own game make sense, as opposed to his coaches kind of like helping him develop. Because uh, when you look at SGB Island, it's not a very first of all, it's not a very accomplished gym. It's not a very large gym, and John Kavanaugh is not exactly like as it turned out. He's not really the MMA mastermind that everyone uh, begged him as. 
And uh, as a result, you can also, McGregor is kind of like uniquely MMA in the sense that he kind of developed his own process, his own game. Like when you look at his very early MMA fights, it's like basically him being being the bigger, more athletic, just kind of all out insane brawler. And uh, which uh, sometimes hamstrung his ability to finish guys as well as he as well as he did in his later career and uh, then mid-career in cage warriors you can see him switch switching towards more of a backfoot game where he sort of like did the anderson silver thing of waiting for the counter he waited for the guys to barge in and then run themselves into onto his left hand then he started adding stuff like pressure then he started adding stuff like uh, linear kicks to the open side just more and more kicks and uh, as a result it's all it's kind of like it's interesting because it kind of resembles it kind of resembles the typical career traje- trajectory of a of an extremely successful regional fighter, someone like Calvin Cater in a sense, not in the precise tools that he employed, but kind of like overall conceptually. And um, as a result, uh, it may have uh, a c- kind of put a, a bit of a lid on on his uh, put a bit of a ceiling on how far he would be able to go right now when he's uh, sort of like. Uh, late in his career and putting on uh, years in a certain sense. He's kind of uh, maybe a bit uh, slowing, maybe slowing down a bit. Uh, hard to gauge it from his recent performances because he, he's so inactive in recent years. Ever since 2016, he basically fought like, what, two, three years, two, three times about that. Uh, and uh, so uh, it's kind of like... it. it uh, his game is basically, as you describe, it's pressure, kicks, and left hand. It's all works. It all works beautifully together. But the large bulk of his career was uh, performed at uh, featherweight, where he em- enjoyed certain physical advantages over other guys. He was bigger. He was taller. He had uh, the better. He has. He had the reach and range advantage. All that stuff, and obviously his power carried more at that weight. And now that. He's at lightweight. It's kind of like it's really hard to say whether his uh, power carries all that well at lightweight. But nonetheless, uh, it can be argued that since the guys he's facing are now uh, at size parity with him, they're about the same size, about as strong, about as physical, and they can take the shots better. They can uh, wear him out in the clinch. They can wrestle with him and uh, they won't be uh, pressured as easily. I mean, people point to his bouts at uh, welterweight, but then again, Nate Diaz is not really like, you know, uh, this gigantic welterweight, it's like, uh, let's say, Kamaru Usman or <laughs> or other guys that are there at welterweight. Someone like Wonderboy Thompson was also a, a pretty big guy. And uh, so uh, that's, um, to summarize, <laughs> yeah, Nate Diaz, Nate Diaz is a 300-pound sumo wrestler. It's a... Uh, Ed is trying to distract me from my point by writing in chat. He said he's going to have a strict uh, timeline and strict format, and he's trying to get this whole thing, trying to derail this whole thing. Anyway, yeah, uh, to summarize, um, Conor McGregor, uh, an extremely uh, potent force in the MMA, certainly an extremely unique fighter. One of the, uh, I think, one of the only examples of a fighter who really put together a coherent game by himself, who clearly had a process throughout his whole career. But in the process of building this extremely uh, well-oiled, well-defined style, it can be argued that he kind of uh, 
over-optimized in a sense. He's kind of like a bit over-specialized for like the specific meta that he was facing in, uh, say, the featherweight division in the UFC and the specific meta that is uh, kind of like works overall in MMA, like uh, the idea of pressure and countering. And, uh, and also his uh, one important thing, very important thing is that his overall game is really, he kind of like lives and dies by the Southpaw double attack from open stance. And um, kind of to just um, allude a little bit to the previous fights with Dustin Poirier, the reason why Dustin Poirier had so much so much success was because many of Conor McGregor's usual avenues of attack from open stance were closed off because it was naturally a closed uh, stance matchup. And it was Southpaw versus Southpaw. And so he couldn't kick uh, as well as he could against uh, an orthodox opponent. He couldn't... Um, uh, employ this, the, quite the same tools as he uh, as uh, he's used to employing, like the throwaway lead uh, left hand, which uh, as a result, why when in his insistence on throwing the le- lead left hand, he kind of put himself over his hips and got checked hook over and over again, and that's uh, an important dynamic that we have to point out and uh, going forward. But yeah, that's um, that's about. Uh, the extent of my thoughts on Conor McGregor right now, I may come back to it later in the matchups section of the discussion, point some other things out. But yeah, that's all uh, from me for now. Yeah, um, Tuman alluded to it. Conor McGregor is kind of a classic, classically conceptualized southpaw fighter and that a lot of the southpaws kind of try to emulate him, uh, especially the big ones, because it works really well for them. If you look at someone like Darren Till, a lot of this game is like kind of a, worst version of Conor McGregor and what he does. Uh, but pretty much all of the staples of the Southpaw game are there with Conor McGregor. The Southpaw double attack is one. Uh, counterpunching is another. And it's a lot more available if, one, you're big, and two, you're a Southpaw because uh, a lot of fighters aren't too comfortable closing distance uh, safely when it comes to Southpaws. Um, the best example, of course, is Eddie Alvarez, who had a lot of trouble getting through that massive void of a massive Southpaw just uh, standing there and pressuring him uh, and kicking him from range and forcing him to be the one to close distance. Uh, it's tougher to do that when you can't really use your lead hand in the way that you're used to. And Conor McGregor is generally feasted on that. Uh, so that has generally been the route to his victories. He's got really strong distance management as has been pointed out by pretty much everyone uh, since like the beginning of his UFC career. Uh, that's one really strong point of his game. Um his counterpunching is really sharp. He's got a good trigger on those, especially on his entries uh, or on his opponent's entries rather, which is why Jose Aldo just walked right into it. One of the more important parts of his game, I would argue, is how fast he starts fights uh, because given his usual sort of cardio liability, uh, any sort of like warm-up time sort of chops into it. Uh, and the fact that he has just such a, a, a snap read on what his opponents are going to do, how fast they're going to come in. It's, it's incredibly important, not only in that it catches some of his opponents really cold. Uh, someone like Jose Aldo was a probable uh, example of that, but also that it gives him the largest amount of time to wear his opponents down with the body kicking and the head kicking and use the changeups before he stops being effective. Um, so it's a very strong game for the first couple of rounds. I think the issues that we've seen, again, they tend to be from other Southpaws. Nate Diaz was an example. Uh, Dustin Poirier in the last fight was another example. Is um, Against other Southpaws, he's still kind of keyed into that rear hand heavy game, which is it's a really good asset when it comes to uh, open stance matchups because 
it again, you're attacking that big void and uh, the open side. But when it comes to close stance matchups, the shoulders in the way, your kicking isn't probably going to work as well, both in terms of that front kick that he uses and the round kick. Uh, it's a lot trickier because the shoulders in the way for one of them. And in the other one, you have to like kick a, a fairly small point. Um, and the straight, you have to get past the shoulder. So you could see even in the second Poirier fight, McGregor was using the jab, but not really as a weapon or his lead hand rather was less of a weapon than it was a tool uh, to still find that left hand. And he had to do so much more work than uh, his opponent to really find it. So those are kind of the, the dynamics that he's working against here. And Dustin Poirier seems like a, an opponent that's going to test that again. So um, yeah, that's all I have to say for now. Uh, Zach. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, I've always been really impressed with Connor. He's, he's just sharper and cleaner technique than basically most of the people I saw coming up. Um, but certainly he has a, a, a fair amount of weaknesses. And I'm, I'm a little bit starting to get a little concerned with maybe his durability. I mean, I think that's always like a question like, uh, like he, got, he, he, he puts himself in the line of fire to land his shots. Now, he usually lands the better ones, but like, Mendez hit him with a lot of good shots. Floyd ended up hitting him with a lot as he, as he faded down the stretch. He obviously got knocked out in his last fight against Poirier. Even Khabib hit him with that, that clean overhand. So, I mean, I mean, I don't have an actual read on it. I'm, it's just something I'd be, I'm a little worried about if he puts himself in the line of fire, like I think he will, uh, if he can take shots the same way they used to, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. So I'm a little, little worried about that, but I mean, I think he, he's probably overall, the best counter-punching pressure fighter I've seen. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't know. I have just a really high opinion of him. And I think his, his kicking game is a, is a huge part that he is, uh, didn't rely on in the last fight, but, but I think could be, could be a big part of what he could reestablish. Um, you know, like certainly – any fight he's in that starts to get into a later rounds uh, is an issue. And it's because he fights on that hair trigger. Like he's, he's like poking at you and looking for little reactions where he reacts in a split second with a read. And that's really a hard style to maintain. Uh, like as you get tired, you just, your reactions are slower. Like you're processing things slower. Your coordination gets a little bit off. So it like his game isn't sustainable in long fights with a high pace. And the thing is, like, I think Jose Aldo is like that also, except Aldo, when he was, like, in his prime, made a career of controlling the pace, whereas McGregor is, a, like, much more of a pressure guy, and he kind of pushes towards the action. So if he doesn't end up with a finish, I think it, it backfires on him a lot. But he's super strong early, like, like Sherm said, and obviously I think has a ton of tools. I think he could beat anyone on any given day. Um, yeah. I think that's basically all I have to say for Connor now. Awesome. Really good stuff. And uh, you're going to keep the spotlight on you, Zach. And uh, let's, let's hear your, your thoughts, your little breakdown on, on Dustin Poirier as a fighter, strengths, weaknesses, same, same treatment. Yeah. Um, he has a more well-rounded approach. Uh, he's like, he's not, he's not afraid to use his wrestling when he needs to like uh, his fight with Duffy. I thought Duffy was kind of a, uh, Landon doing, doing better than him in the boxing and he wasn't afraid to make it a grimy fight. You know, he's just, he's just willing, I think more willing to change, adapt his plan uh, to whatever it needs to be done. And he's, he's just, he's pretty relentless. Like won't, won't, 
won't back down. I've seen him like fade and look like he's done in a round. And then the next round comes back super resilient guy. I think he's, he's sharpened up a lot in the last few years, got way better on the counter. Um, just kind of rounded out his game and his, and I think, I mean, I don't know, his durability seems to have gone way up too, which is interesting. The later you go and the more wars you get in, because he, he's always in awesome, amazing back and forth fights. Uh, I don't know if the weight, like coming up in weight had anything to do with it, but uh, I don't know. Uh, huge fan of Poirier. Obviously love his crawfish, his crawfish shell. Uh, countering off of that, his, his, uh, his lead hook counter, like one in the fight in the, in the last, in the last fight with McGregor, I think. I don't know. I just think he's a super well-rounded, mentally strong, disciplined guy, class act as a human being. So I don't know. That's Dustin Poirier. Sure. I'm back to you. Oh uh, yeah. I thought it was going the, uh, the other way with, okay. Uh, Snake draft. Okay, my bad. But yeah, uh, I agree with all that. I think Dustin Poirier is kind of, uh, as I mentioned, Conor McGregor was kind of a classically uh, optimized southpaw fighter. Dustin Poirier is kind of the opposite. We've seen in uh, the architect that I've compared him to before is Robbie Lawler, where rather than leaning really heavy on his rear hand and playing with the distance, he gets inside and he gets behind his shoulders and uses the right hook a bit more. Um, It's a more unique game for a southpaw because the natural hand fight makes it really tough for fighters to fight that way. But the way that Poirier's done it has generally been effective and specifically against Conor McGregor, uh, the southpaw southpaw matchup meant that similar to like Robbie Lawler looking his best against uh, Johnny Hendricks and the southpaw, which isn't what tends to happen in southpaw southpaw matchups. Um, it really helped him having a really developed lead hand. And the other fight where it really helped him was Max Holloway because Max Holloway was another person who wanted to really step in and build on him. Uh, and uh, Poirier just didn't let it happen. Constant right hook counters, playing it off the uppercut. Uh, he, his, uh, his rear hand is uh, pretty underratedly variable too. He, he throws like these wide hooks along with the straight. Uh, in the finish against Conor McGregor, he like conditioned him to expect the straight. And on the fence, he threw this huge overhand. Uh, I think he drew like a parry out of Conor and smashed him with it. So lots of really fun offensive boxing from Poirier defensively. I think he's still kind of a mixed bag and it goes back to his footwork being really loose. Uh, I think he, the way that it is, is uh, a lot of Poirier's offensive potency comes from his ability to shift into range uh, and his levers and just the way that he, uh, he's able to mix it up in that sense. But the sort of looseness of his footwork there really does compromise his positioning fairly often. Uh, the place where he saw this most uh, clearly was in that early lightweight fight against Michael Johnson, uh, where he walked into the pocket pretty much gave up all positioning instantly and Johnson nuked him. Uh, that isn't something that he's doing as carelessly these days, but it is something that he's not completely averse to. Um, he's a lot more deliberate in the way that he's shifting, but we saw in the Dan Hooker fight, both the benefits and the drawbacks of that. Uh, Dan Hooker, when he tried to step back with the jab, uh, Poirier just shifted after him and cracked him while being like way shorter and just consistently got these overhand rights. But when Hooker sort of planted and threw with him, Poirier's positioning was pretty much always in, in a worse place. Uh, that's where that late second round, uh, like he got rocked there. And that was because his positioning was all out of whack. Like he was trying to like close Hooker down and Hooker just met him in the middle and started throwing hooks with him. And uh, Hooker was in a better stance at that point. So 
Poirier is, he's fundamentally a very weird fighter. I've, I said in the last time uh, that we did this sort of panel with the second fight, uh, I think a lot of people sort of underestimate how mentally durable he is just because he seems like more of a person in the cage than a lot of fighters. He has all these little reset ticks and it's, it's really fun to watch him fight in that way. But aside from the Nurmagomedov fight, he seemed pretty much unbreakable since that uh, MJ fight. And it's really something to behold. I think his durability is, is frankly, it's insane. It's freakish. And I don't think it's going to last a ton longer with how much uh, miles he has on his body between um, the Chan Sung Jung fight back at Featherweight, Holloway, Gaethje. Uh, I don't think the Alvarez fights were like too brutal, but you go back to Hooker again. Uh, there are a ton of really nasty fights in his catalog. And I think that's probably going to catch up with him sooner or later, but I'm not particularly sure if Conor McGregor is the one to take advantage of that. So that's all for me. Back to you, Timon. Yeah. Uh, Dustin Poirier, yeah. what's a, what's a fascinating fighter. Like um, the, all his little quirks and uh, like uh, all this weird stuff he does kind of sort of belies the fundamentally incredibly solid game that he has, incredibly solid boxing game that he has. He's very fluent with his hands, and whenever he sticks sticks to the fundamentals and uh, tries to employ a more measured approach, uh, a more methodical process, it's just beautiful to watch him fight. And uh, naturally, it's also beautiful to watch him fight when he just lets loose and just goes full-on berserker mode, especially in the later rounds sometimes, or when he has his guy hurt. Like uh, Dustin Poirier unloading on someone he had that uh, he just hurt a couple seconds ago. It's one of the most... I think prodigious and uh, impressive sights in MMA, just period, and uh, which is something we saw in the, the second McGregor fight, naturally. And uh, the way I would uh, I would describe Dustin Poirier is kind of like uh, I think uh, the word that describes him perfectly is an educated brawler. Really, like um, he's uh, he's not really tied to a certain archetype of fighting. He just doesn't he doesn't stick to one style of fighting the same way McGregor does. Uh, as uh, Zach had pointed out, he's much more well-rounded. He just sees stuff that's happening in front of him and he adapts to it on the fly. Uh, like, he's not really, you know, a tactical genius or a strategic mastermind or anything, but he has a certain instinct for fighting that allows him to just sort of, sort of feel feel what the other guy is trying to do and, and come up with uh, appropriate responses for it. And so um, I would describe his game as like, uh, a style of trying to uh, take an inch and drag it out into a mile. If he sees an opening, he takes it and he just clings onto it and he just continues hammering, hammering and hammering these uh, techniques that he can uh, come up on the spot if provided the matchup is kind of like sort of even. And uh, like, as we saw in the Nurmagomedov fight, like uh, since Nurmagomedov outclassed him so badly in one area of the fight, he struggled to really do the same things that he usually does, which is fight his way out of um, like uh, hairy situations. His uh, almost his entire game is kind of sort of built around like just basically, he's kind of like a, a just fight sort of fighter. He doesn't think about really in terms of like what sort of game plan I'm going to employ. He does uh, try to employ game plans, but it's mostly more like it's mostly built around um, just trying to fight his way out of uh, trying to be. Uh, more uh, gritty uh, or like uh, more tactically proficient in certain areas of the fight as the fight goes on. And um, <clears throat> and yeah, the point about his defense, it's kind of like um, 
like his style is you could say that his style is kind of ramshackle but it kind of makes sense overall in a way anyway it's kind of like uh, Jack Slack I think said that uh, it's ugly stuff done uh, smart stuff done ugly uh, it's kind of like uh, in a way it's kind of beautiful and uh, like um, hang on <laughs> yeah uh, the point about defense uh, it's kind of like he used to go for the double his development process was very interesting like he started as this wildman brawler like a shit-hitting wildman that just kind of constantly went after his guy and then he started slapping on and on and on more like uh, more wrinkles adding more wrinkles to his game and he developed this very like he went from the double forearms guard to this uh <laughs> crawfish shell but the thing about his defense is he's like it's it's hard to pin him down for you uh, uh like he sometimes he counter punches from his defense. Sometimes he just uses it as the novelty cover up. Sometimes he, he uh, shows beautiful footwork. Sometimes his feet are all over the place. Sometimes he's be- boxing beautifully. Sometimes he's just swinging like massive overhands from one uh, end of the cage to another, <laughs> like throwing these massive baseball pitches. And then he goes back to normal boxing. It's uh, like it's uh, his. As uh, Sriam said, he's very human in the way he fights. He seems much more like a person than any other fighter. He's not trying to stick to the techniques. It's, uh, I mean, you can see uh, the gears turning in his head, him trying to think up of uh, ways that, through which he can stick to the process. He can uh, ways through which he can uh, get back into the fight. All these little ticks, all the all this, all the uh, nodding of the head talking to himself, uh, adjusting his shorts, <laughs> all that stuff. Really just a fascinating character, much more of a character, I suppose. Like, What makes him interesting, what makes Dustin Pooley interesting is not only he is a, uh, a very exciting and fascinating and interesting and uh, technically intricate fighter, but he's also uh, wears his emotions on his sleeve in a way. And uh, I think that's why he sort of is so captivating. But... Uh, yeah, well, just uh, what makes him interesting as a fighter from a fight standpoint is uh, to summarize is that he's uh, he's and well once again an educated brawler. He he's basically a brawler that uh, likes to fight, that loves to fight, and loves to have these like just insane wars. But nonetheless, he still has enough crafts to win at the highest level, despite being like quote unquote non technical. Because he has, he's, he's much more crafty rather than masterful, I'd say. And uh, kind of like uh, he sort of blurs the lines between being a, a brawler and being a crafty technician, I'd say. And that's my evaluation of him overall, I guess. Beautiful. Yeah, you guys nailed it. I actually don't have anything else to add other than, you know, the thing that really holds all of that together is that he is in just phenomenal shape all the time. Uh, extremely fit as a fighter. You know, it has, has this weird cardio where he'll definitely get tired. He'll slow down. Uh, but he always has a second, third, fourth, fifth wind. Like, he's never completely out. But you can, if you're a certain type of fighter, take advantage of those of those gaps, um, as, as Khabib did. And, you know, there are a lot of other gaps he took advantage of. But, <clears throat> yeah, Dustin Poirier, like, really what, what makes him elite, I would say, are, are the attributes that, that hold up that style. And that's true for pretty much every fighter, but it's still good to identify what those physical uh, factors are that, that allow that to work. So matchup, uh, it's their third fight together. Uh, first fight, uh, Conor McGregor led 
and uh, punched around Poirier's guard and, and hit him really hard a bunch of times. Then he got knocked out. It was pretty straightforward. It happened pretty quickly. Um, second fight, I think Poirier wanted the same kind of fight. He said, I want you to do what you tried to do to me last time, and I'm so much better now. I'm going to get you. Um, so a lot of it was, you know, jabbing with him, trying to draw out those same same leads, uh, using that check hook to, to stifle his combinations, and you know, throwing in some of the new defensive looks that he had, like slipping and uh, rocking back and a little bit of the shifting and, like, rolling out from his own entries. Of course, he mixed it up as well. Uh, the calf kick and took it uh, a big role kind of later into the fight at only a two round fight, so it's not that long, but <laughs> you know, not there, there are clear like sequences in the fight, like you know, periods of the fight where certain things were happening. There's like there was the clinching, there was the other boxing before the clinching, there was everything that happened after that, uh, when Dustin started kicking more. Um, but he started to get a better, a better read on, on what Connor was doing in the lead. And I think that's the most important thing is that he, when he, when Poye did lead, he made sure he was exiting, you could say responsibly. You know, rolling out or ducking out of your, you know, rear hand, like shifting entries isn't always a safe way to do it. But because, like Zach said, Conor McGregor is so hair trigger with his counters, he has these counters that are so like second nature to him. So like the muscle memory is there. He's going to throw straight at your head over your lead, you know, rear hand. So he knew every time he threw that he could he could be gone. So he had that down uh, really tight. Uh, kicking when, uh, when McGregor stepped forward was great. Uh, jabbing with him, trying to draw his own leads, you know, trying to evade, check hook, counter, um, and and counter kick. Uh, that that was all great stuff. And then you know, as soon as it looked like uh, the tide was turning at all, and, and McGregor slowed down, and uh, he was in front of Poirier, Poirier just unloaded on him uh, and threw like a twenty punch combination. <laughs> it's just uh, not something everyone can do. Uh, but yeah, I would say the ring craft is definitely an interesting part of the fight. That that Poirier just kind of was wherever he needed to be to let the rest of that strategy continue. It wasn't that important to him where he was in the cage. And that's pretty consistent in most of his fights. And that's something that really hurt him uh, against Khabib and can really hurt you against grapplers. And, you know, he did, he did lose some of that fight against the cage. You know, that's not really re- uh, a replicable strategy for Conor McGregor. I think Dustin recently said like, I win the fight 10 times out of 10, if it goes past the first round, obviously an oversimplification, but that is the general dynamic is that Conor, loses a ton of efficacy once he, you know, <laughs> deflates a little bit. Uh, he doesn't have to gas out totally to become a very different fighter. Uh, like the pop on, on his punches, the power really changes once he starts to get a little bit tired. Um, and Dustin had a good game plan of making it so things happened um, early on so they could have some sort of fight before the fight, before he could settle in and box with them and actually take some shots. And it would be okay because he, he was more settled in the fight. You're not cold, you know, you're not stiff. Um, you can kind of, you know, absorb some more of the impact, uh, see what, what's coming a little bit more. So I thought it was a very nice game plan uh, on our prediction panel before that fight. Uh, Shri Ram and I were, were the, the Dustin Poirier pickers. Uh, I definitely saw a path and a lot of it depended on him surviving <laughs> early on. And then, you know, just winning on pace, essentially, you know, his attributes coming through. Um, and I was partially picking just to manifest the victory, but I saw there was a path that is, you know, it did seem like the Connor knocking him out early path was more likely um what has changed between that fight and this fight i mean con mcgregor is now aware of that game plan i think that's something that that could be a factor but it's really hard to predict how someone's going to adjust to having seen something i mean the fact that these things worked on con mcgregor wasn't like a one-off thing it was like 
I have his entire career to study and here are things that are definitely going to work based on every fight I've ever seen. Um, how much can you really change in six months and how much can you try to change and succeed in changing in six months? And for Dustin Poirier, um, he just got some more data about what worked about his game plan, what could be better. And, you know, he got to, you know, test it out and have it work and then still gets to refine it and have it work even better. So uh, some things that I think might not work as well. Uh, maybe his kicking game won't work as well. I feel like it's going to be one of those things where uh, McGregor is buying into his own narrative and is like hyper-focused on not getting kicked. Um, it's going to be really like check happy or something. He's going to have something to deal with being calf kicked. Um, and Dustin Poirier seems aware of that. He said he expects Connor to try to kick him. Um, he says, sure, why not? Um, so I don't think Dustin Poirier is going to do the exact same game plan. I also think his um, his the takedown that he got early in the fight uh, basically weaving under his, uh, his, uh, lead straight, um, into, into a really <laughs> reaching double with a, an outside trip finish. It, it was pretty bad. Uh, but, <laughs> but it definitely took Connor by surprise. Entries are very important. And it was, it was a, a well-planned entry, even though the execution was a little strange. And I Zach hates, um, that kind of finish uh, where you're basically falling, uh, to your hip to, to take him out the trip to finish. And I, I I'm with him. I think, I think that's really risky. Um, but it worked there, but you know, Dustin tried it two more times after that and got nowhere with it because Connor just got his hips back a little bit as he's reaching. And because it was such a terrible double leg, yeah, he's not going to get it. So I don't think that'll work, but I don't think it needs to work. I really don't think Dustin needs all the things that worked in the, the second fight to work again. Um, I think basically he can box with him pretty comfortably now. I think he knows that he can clinch with him and be fine. Even if he's not winning those exchanges and, uh, I hope to God that he uh, just mixes in a little bit of level changing with his boxing approach and hits Connor's body just a little bit more than he did, which was not at all. Um, (laughs) I don't think he hit his body once. And uh, I I forget who it was, but someone was like, does anyone ever hit Connor's body? I think he would hate it. And I was like, yeah. It was Danny Martin. That was Danny Martin. Yeah, shout out Danny Martin. But I'm ready to pass the torch. So you're you're good. You're good to speak uh, for sure. But yeah, (laughs) I'm picking Dustin Poirier again. I feel like, obviously i feel more confident than i did last time because he did beat him and i already picked him last time so yeah i'm I'm picking him i mean uh he also beat beat him uh in a very replicable uh way it wasn't like a a fluky weird knockout he just basically just dismantled him basically just solved him and that's why kind of like it's hard to predict what Connor's adjustments are going to be coming into this matchup it's kind of like almost pointless to try like because uh, the man is also a serial, uh, like a serial bullshitter. He likes to just kind of uh, put out the narratives out there, like just kind of like say stuff to make uh, to to generate engagement, and then do this complete a completely different thing in in uh, the rematch. But uh, I mean, didn't really have all that many rematches. I think in his career, and just basically just Diaz and. Uh, and yeah. Basically, Poirier. that's it. <laughs> and Poirier, yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, and like uh, even in the second Diaz fight it wasn't like some kind of like monumental uh, completely rehashed approach uh, like he didn't really completely remodel his entire approach to beat Diaz the second time he just tried to basically do his usual Conor McGregor things against Diaz and uh, as a result kind of really faded really hard <laughs> at, uh, in the later rounds but yeah but uh, discounting Conor McGregor is um, I'm hesitant to completely write him off because he's still he's not uh, completely ancient 
he's uh, still has potent enough uh, attributes that would uh, that could carry him a long time from now into into his later years in his career. <clears throat> And of course, there's the matter of his power and uh, the, the sheer fact that he, that he starts so fast and so early. Like uh, those are all still very dangerous things, and all those are all things that uh, Dustin Poirier will need to navigate in in the, the third fight. But uh, overall, I think the most I agree overall with your point about the uh, approach this time around. I think I think Poirier is pretty comfortable winning in many different ways, but. Uh, the most uh, optimal approach would, of course, to be just mix the martial arts, <laughs> just uh, basically just MMA corner as much as possible, optimized for, oh, but kind of like optimize it in a little bit, maybe uh, add a little strategic wrinkle to the game plan, like like starting to work more on nutritional damage early on. Like the idea about wearing corner out in the first round by clinching with him and wrestling with him is a is an excellent idea, but you could also add some ground and pound. You could also add, uh, once again, body shots. Could also add some, I don't know, maybe threaten some submissions just to just kind of like sort of put the idea out there. Not, of course, sell out on a massive guillotine, as Dustin Poirier likes to do, which, which I mean, I mean, I suppose it's also doable because Conor McGregor is not really like, you know, uh, a, a really dangerous top player and a submission machine from top. So... Okay, I mean, I guess why not? Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, overall, I think uh, Dustin should uh, try the same approach, but just a bit uh, tighten tighten things somewhat, like uh, avoid getting hit with <laughs> with the clean counters this time, clean left hand shots. But one one important point um, in the previous fight, in the second fight, Connor still hit him clean with that fabled uh, left hand, the fabled left straight, and uh, Dustin like. It shook him up a bit, but he still took it. He was still fine with taking the shots. He still saw the shots coming. coming. And it's an important point. Like the point about durability, I think uh, Zach raised in the, um, in the early part of the discussion is that uh, maybe it's the weight cut. The cutting less weight made uh, Dustin Bowie more durable. But I think there's also another aspect to this in that since it, he's, he fights much more with his feet under him in, from a proper stance and uh, he... He's able to see the shots coming uh, much better uh, as opposed to when uh, he fought uh, early in his career when he just did this and just couldn't see anything. Uh, that's also played a factor, I think. But yeah, um, I think the avenues for victory for Conor McGregor are the same really uh, as uh, there are for every, every single Conor McGregor fight. It's this uh, really sort of narrow lane, uh, like just pressure and hit your guy lots in the face and in the body, uh, that's pretty much it. Find the counter. Meanwhile, Dustin Poirier can do much. Uh, like I, I'm usually usually hesitant about picking fighters who are more diverse, simply by virtue of uh, them knowing more attacks. But this is precisely the case where I would uh, uh, lean towards picking the guy who's just more diverse and more well versed overall, more more well rounded as an MMA fighter, which Dustin is. And so. <clears throat> The idea is the same, just uh, wear Connor out early in the first two rounds, mix things up, uh, drag it out a little bit, and then beat him up. So um, unless Connor hits on some really, like, uh, really, like, like perfect adjustments for Dustin Poirier, 
I think uh, Dustin takes it again. And uh, about the adjustments, like Ed recently put out an article, which I don't think he's very proud of, <laughs> but nonetheless, it's still a funny idea in that uh, Conor McGregor could use his shoulder strikes to set up takedowns along the cage. But I mean, even if Conor McGregor takes Dustin Poirier down, I'm fairly certain Dustin Poirier is fine with being taken down by Conor McGregor. He's not fine with being taken down by Khabib Nurmagomedov, but then again, who is? <laughs> so I wouldn't say it's that much of a like a, a really big danger. He's not in a big danger of getting submitted or pounded out. And so, um, what else Connor could do? I guess Connor could target the body with his, with his boxing, use his jab more, actually jab with uh, Dustin Poirier instead of trying to throw these weird leaning left hands and getting check hooked all over again. Uh, so like really uh, I know like up front I'm picking Dustin Poirier because he just plain showed he just plain demonstrated much more avenues through which he could win to me personally and that's why I'm picking him and uh, I'm currently trying to come up with ways through which Conor McGregor could conceivably win this rematch and the, the avenues are like are all the same as they've always been just pressure and hit lots. So I'm hesitant to just kind of even try and pick Conor McGregor in this rematch, not to not to sound biased or anything, but that's just how it is. I mean, I guess I'd have some more additional thoughts after this discussion, but I guess that's it for now. Nothing comes to my mind. But I forget to say yeah. I'm biased. I'm biased. Yeah, go. I'm very biased. There right, you go, Sharon. Yeah, I have pretty much the same rate. I don't have a ton to add. I think the idea of the leg kicks being completely integral to Dustin Poirier's game, I think it's like a fair thing to say because he leg kicked in both of those fights. But what really changed between those fights is how much more troublesome it was for Conor McGregor to get his own game going. Um, In the first fight we saw, it wasn't just Poirier's defense that improved. It really did improve a lot, but it was that Conor McGregor could kind of just close distance behind his lead hand super easily and start working around the guard for free. Uh, Poirier didn't allow that to happen in the second fight, started catching pitching with the right hook just immediately. And I think that's really what shut Conor down, even with Poirier's ring craft being uh, at best apathetic. Uh, that's like, that's kind of the way I describe it. Uh, he doesn't really care about it. And here he, on paper, he had a real reason to, but with range parity and with that right hook, Conor McGregor didn't really have a reason to enter in and like do a ton. Uh, and that's what set the kicks up, right? McGregor now had to stand at range uh, where he could just enter in and punch Poirier for free. So standing at range set up the kicks, but really the kicks couldn't replace with a lot of things at that point, like especially later in the fight. I don't really think it's that integral. Uh, what was important was Poirier's ability to buy space early in the fight. And I think that's where the takedown threat comes in a little bit more because the way that he set the um, the takedown up with his usual shifting overhand, if McGregor's super keyed into that, he can maybe dissuade it. But the fact that the threat is there is probably going to be enough to get kind of Gregor backing off anyway so the body work is another effective level changing threat to like make it more convincing uh the takedown threat is probably still there even just if he shoots a little bit and doesn't get it McGregor still has to back off like get his hips back in time um yeah it's tough to see a ton of roots for Conor McGregor especially since he's working with such a defined window of time uh needing to knock out Dustin Poirier in a round is an awful terrible just it's, it's not the place you want to be. It's, it's not a viable route, a high percentage route for anybody, I don't think. Um, Khabib Nurmagomedov beat him over the rounds by grappling, and maybe you could grapple him in a round. That's something that I would be super shocked to see Charles Oliveira do. Needing to knock him out in a round on the feet 
I don't think it's something that you're going to do with any degree of consistency, even if you are Conor McGregor. Uh, and the way that Dustin Poirier was able to survive last time and the amount of work that it took for Conor McGregor to get his game going uh, in the second fight, you know, needing to like really take angles to land that left hand, uh, needing to contend with that right hook and jab and do things that he really wasn't all that familiar with or comfortable doing. I don't see him growing meaningfully more comfortable in this fight, doing all those things. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be a Poirier pick from me, fairly confidently. Uh, I'm okay as a fighter, but I don't think this is going to be the fight to show it. Um, I think Connor certainly has to make some adjustments, um, but I think he's very capable to make the ones that I think could make a difference just based on watching the last one. Obviously, once he got stunned, he kind of like got put on the cage and then Poirier unleashed his beautiful flurry of 20 whatever punches but McGregor like kind of sat there and tried to like cover and see the shots and and block them and throw in a throw back occasionally instead of just like move your feet and don't stand there so he can't unleash an endless combo all you have to do is keep moving your feet until you can like re try to reset but he was stunned you know so uh I get it but um um, I think McGregor stunned Poirier a lot in that in that in that fight several times, two or three times. I think Poirier was like really shook, um, but yeah, he's much better on the counter. And I like the the way they counter is a little different. Like Connor's always like leaning, baiting, pull or slip and land like a really precise counter, whereas Poirier has much more of that catch and counter you in the middle of your own shots. And I felt like what really got Connor in trouble. I think the kicks were hurting him, uh, and he definitely has to deal with that. But really, what led to the end of the fight and he, he did it a bunch of times is staying there after his left hand trying to throw that like long lead uppercut and he got cracked twice with counter hooks and uh i mean i think if he just decides to set up his left hand and get out after his left hand he probably won't be there for those same kind of counters because Poirier, at least in that fight what and, and most of the fights i've seen isn't the guy who's kind of like baiting you to like pull and catch you as you're throwing he waits till you're throwing and in the middle of your combo catch and hit you with the hook or what or shell and hit you with the left you know so i think if connor sticks to like just setting up his left landing the left and retreating and and keeps landing it i think he will hurt him and potentially uh stop him um yeah and then i think if that happens and poirier and he's not staying there for poirier to catch with the counters and he's dealing with the kicks then it's going to be on poirier to adjust uh and uh, I'm going to pick Connor. I think he's going to muster some mystic mac magic alliteration. Uh, I'm going to pick up by TKO at the end of the first, but I agree. Like, I'm not like super confident in the pick. Knocking out Poirier is no easy task, especially when you're forced to do it early. But I think Connor is going to come out hard. He's going to put all his eggs in the, I know I got to get it done early basket. So he's going to go for it, I think. So. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad a, we're not a not a monolith. <laughs> that's an interesting point. Like uh, the way like most people are able to counter Dustin Poirier is by drawing him in and forcing like really dangerous entries from him. And uh, I, I don't think uh, I wonder if Connor will be able to like gauge that from in the span of six months. From I mean, I guess he just if he did nothing but watch tape of Dustin Poirier throughout these six months and drill these, these specific counters for his counters. I mean, yeah, I guess that's, that's a, an interesting thing to point out. That's something to look out for. Uh, 
speaking of course about Dustin Poirier, he has to look out for that stuff. But I mean, uh, I, like any Dustin Poirier fan should hope that Dustin Poirier remains disciplined with these entries and with his boxing, which is uh, where most of the fights will take place. I think it's a safe bet. But uh, yeah, like uh, generally, generally speaking, I think I'm like sixty uh, forty leaning towards Poirier, but still giving a corner a good shot. I think the same as everyone. I think everyone yeah. sane would do that. <laughs> it's not. It's not like a completely confident, unanimous pick that Dustin Poirier will just demolish Conor McGregor again. Right. It's just that uh, the avenue for Conor McGregor is a really narrow one. That's the reason why it's kind of like hard to pin down. They have both knocked each other out before, and they are both older than they've ever been before. So anyone knocking yeah. the other one out isn't really that huge of a shock at this point. Another sh- short thing I'd like to point out is that Dustin Poirier is like a really an interesting example of someone of a fighter working around his disadvantages and like his uh, injuries because Dustin Poirier has struggled with uh, with his hips for a really long time. And uh, God knows what kind of like issues he's hiding, and uh, God knows what kind of issues Conor McGregor is also hiding. And uh, at this stage in their careers, having been through so many fights and uh, Conor McGregor having taken so many beatings in recent years, that's that's also like throws a bit of a wrench in things. Could kind of like it could turn out at any second that one of them has just fallen off like two percent, and that's all that that's needed for the other guy to win, basically, mm-hmm. and for the whole game to fall apart. Yeah, high level competition do be like that. So true, bestie. All right. So <laughs> another fight that I think is a, at, at a pretty high level, uh, maybe not the same level, but a high level regardless. And it's welterweight where the matchmaking has been pretty bad uh, for a while. So this is refreshing. Uh, we have Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus Gilbert Burns, uh, two former title challengers, um, very different styles. And one that might seem straightforward to some people. Uh, sure, I'm leaving and coming back to me. Uh, but I think it's actually a little bit nuanced just to, uh, he's not here, but Ryan Wagner is very confident about this fight, that Wonder Boy winning, and I will try to disagree with him. But let's do this definitely at a faster pace than the last one, uh, but let's, let's keep the format. Uh, Zach, I'm going to have you start uh, talking about Stephen Wonderboy Thompson because I think you know the guy. A little bit. I mean, <laughs> nicest guy MMA. One of them, without question. What an amazing dude. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I, I know I'm like the Wonder Boy, the guy who defends Wonder Boy on the fight site. I'm always like, you guys don't appreciate Wonder Boy enough. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I think he has adapted his style for MMA better than anyone else has for like that type of um, like hands down, long stance, bouncy karate style. Uh he takes like real, real subtle shifts off the center line, comes back with, you never know if he's coming or going. He's really, really amazing at it. I know a lot, I haven't trained with him directly, but I know a lot of people who have, and they all, and Ryan Hall, all, everybody at TriStar, Eamon Zahabi and all those guys. And they, they, have, they have the highest opinion of his striking. And I believe it. And I was around when Rory was uh, in training camp to fight Wonder Boy. We brought in Raymond Daniels and, um, Roy was doing really good with Raymond. I mean, Raymond's amazing too, but that style is just so when you're really good at that style, it's really, it's really hard to deal with because they're, they're so fast at closing distance. There's like real subtle, uh, uh, a- 
angle changes. They're great. Like their sidekick is like a spear in the gut. It's like really hard to get around. And uh, I don't know. I think he's one of the, one of the best strikers in MMA. I'm not going to say he's one of the best kickboxers, which is what I think you guys mainly uh, critique when people say he's one of the best kickboxers ever or whatever. Uh, but as far as that style is applied in MMA, probably the best to do it. I was muted. Uh, sure, I'm still trying to rejoin, so we're going to skip him for now. And uh, Tuma, what do you think about Wonderboy? Do you watch his fights, first of all? No, never. I never <laughs> watch MMA. I don't watch fights at all. That's that's my secret. I'm kind of like uh, the fight sites Dr. House. I just don't watch fights and still offer my expert opinions. And I'm still usually right. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, no, I've seen uh, like uh, plenty of Wonderboy fights and I've enjoyed most of them. It's kind of like really fun. It's a really fun style with the right matchup. That's uh, how I would put it. Uh, like whenever guys chase after his head, which is often, which happens often, happens all the time, really. Uh, he basically looks like a like a wizard, like a genius. Like no one can touch him. Everyone's swinging at air. And uh, Wonder Boy is just out there taking angles and just basically doing his thing and making people look like fools. And, uh, but nonetheless, uh, it's a style that's, I agree, he uh, re-specialized his style for MMA very well. But uh, one thing is that at welterweight, since welterweight matchmaking is so weird, he's been dealing with mostly favorable matchups for uh, most of his career outside, I don't know, maybe Tyron Woodley. But then again, it's only was, it was only the case of uh, Wonderboy not really doing enough to beat up uh, Tyron Woodley despite uh, having uh, Woodley in trouble several times. And then again, Woodley still also had Wonderboy in trouble a couple of times and fairly like uh, in fairly deep trouble as well. But uh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, so what makes Wonderboy so great is that uh, not many people in MMA are able to strike on angles. Not many people in MMA are good uh, cage cutters. They don't cut off escape routes really well. And that's why Wonderboy is able to just sort of like uh, escape from uh, difficult situations along the fence and uh, look like a masterful uh, ring general in the process. And um, <clears throat> his uh, hands down style baits people into pursuing his head, into head hunting. And uh, that's when he shines, just uh, puts his head out there, uh, just takes a little bit of an angle, counters you, uh, usually drops everyone. But uh, this style also carries inherent some inherent weaknesses. The, the sheer fact that he stands so side on, in fact, for for one, like it's a like uh, in uh, in kung fu, it's called usually it's usually called called a horse stance or a horseman's stance. Basically, just he stands side on and his uh, feet are on the same line, and uh, it's um, it's a stance that very uh, susceptible to leg kicks to both normal leg kicks to the thigh and to stomps to the knee. And it's something certain fighters have tried to employ against him, someone like uh, Jorge Masvidal, for example, or uh, uh, Vicente Luque. But the problem was that they had their kicking game was too disjointed from the rest of the, their... I'm sorry, from uh, the rest of their overall MMA game and even their boxing game. So, like, they didn't try to kick 
of their punches and they just sort of went, I'm going to box you now and now I'm going to kick. And that allowed the Wonder Boy to just sort of anticipate uh, the uh, kicking motion and then, and then counter the, uh, the opponents he was facing. And um, <clears throat> so basically those, and also naturally, since he stands so side on, it's uh, somewhat difficult for him to just avoid, uh, to defend himself in prolonged exchanges in the pocket. Uh, once the exchange goes past the initial counter and if the guy is able to hang in there, uh, he still hasn't faced a guy who was able to do that uh, consistently, but uh, it's still a certain thing you have to keep in mind when watching Wonderboy fight. Like, uh, since he stands, stands so side-on and since uh, his hands are hanging by his nipples, uh, when, whenever the exchange gets deep, he's bound to get uh, hit and... Uh, and uh, he usually gets hit a lot when the exchanges aren't going his way. It's uh, just, he's lucky to have a really good chin to go with his style as well. And uh, also, uh, in recent years, he's been, uh, he's uh, not a very young man by any stretch, either uh, by fight game years or just in normal years. Still looks fantastic though. <laughs> but uh, uh, he's kind of, slowed down a little bit, like you could see in the Jeff Neal fight. Like, I'd say if uh, Wonder Boy was uh, a couple of years younger, he would be able to style on Jeff Neal much, uh, in a much more in impressive fashion and uh, get a much wider decision, maybe even finish Jeff Neal, who knows. But uh, uh, one thing that concerned me, while it was an excellent, like a really impressive performance, really crafty one as well, but also really baffling from Jeff Neal, uh, uh, like the way he had hunted the whole way through. But uh, one thing that concerned me is how Wonder Boy seemed to injure himself while fighting Jeff Neal and while still styling on him pretty much. And uh, he looked uh, he looked noticeably worse for wear at the end of that fight after having uh, <clears throat> dominated Jeff Neal so thoroughly. And he still, like, I think he still was nursing some injuries from that fight. So that's a problem. That's a concern. But uh, yeah, overall, a uh, very interesting fighter, very entertaining fighter as well. And that's about the extent, that's the extent of my thoughts on him for now. Sure. Um, what do you think of Wonderboy? And welcome back. Uh, yeah, uh, Microsoft Teams decided to open itself on my computer and apparently the interaction was just complete poison. Uh, so I'm sorry about that. But yeah, uh, Wonderboy is a fighter that I've always kind of thought, uh, I wouldn't say I've thought less of him than a lot of people, but I do think that the lore around him is at the very least kind of misinformed. Uh, a lot of it's kind of based on like having a really flashy sort of kick, sort of kicking style that isn't as effective as I think a lot of people think. So on the outside, a lot of his game is like the, that intercepting sidekick and the spinning kicks, which uh, they're not really the sort of a trite of game that you tend to see from really strong kickers in MMA. Uh, it's back on my computer, by the way, so I might join in after this. But where he's really succeeded in his recent fights is in his boxing uh, and really his understanding of boxing is a lot stronger than people think. I think um, it's kind of uh, so that side on stance, it really does hurt him when it comes to defending leg kicks. And when it comes to pocket defense, he's not really all there. I don't think that's because of the side on stance necessarily. He's just not super aware, uh, but his ring craft is, is I think what really carries his game uh, really like the whole thing. Uh, is that he's got really, really good ring craft. He's really good at uh, getting his opponents to chase him and uh, really misdirecting them around the cage. 
And I think that's really what confused someone like Jeff Neal, who could only use like one cage cutting tool at a time. I started out with like trying to right hook him and then he started kicking the body uh, off his rear leg, but he could never like put the two together, uh, which is really funny to me, but it was also kind of sad. Uh, but yeah, in general, welterweights don't tend to really be too strong at pressuring. Uh, the exception being Rafael dos Anjos, who he never really fought. So that's one factor. Uh, but I think the fight that really shows his limitations more than any was probably Darren Till, just because Till kind of pressured from long range, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, kicked the leg and uh, threatened the counter on entry. So a lot of what Wonderboy does is if he can't like misdirect you and you pressure really patiently, he needs to buy space with the blitz. And against someone who could really consistently threaten counters on his entry without like giving him the room to angle out, you know, giving him an exchange and, and trying to counter in there the way someone like Luke or Neil would, um, he struggled a lot. And Darren Till just didn't really give him the opportunity to enter into those exchanges and buy space. He threatened the counter on, uh, on entry and eventually got uh, Wonderboy to the fence and knocked him down. Uh, Wonderboy still arguably won that fight, mostly on like both guys doing very little through the whole thing, which is another common criticism of Wonderboy. Uh, but it's the sort of thing where I don't know if, and I guess I'm skipping forward to the matchup here. I'm not sure how many people can do that to uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He's just like a really big, dedicated pressure who's solid at it and has a game that's uh, a bit more tuned to countering guys on entry than Gilbert Burns or Vicente Luque or Jeff Neal. So I think it's a game that he's very good, but he also has a style that tends to make fighters fight worse than uh, other styles of that same commensurate skill level would make people fight. Uh, it's kind of similar to Darren Till himself. Is, you, know, you can look at him and you can see he does good things, but also guys never really approach him well. And I think that's what I'd really like to see out of this fight from Gilbert Burns. Uh, but that's all for me for now. Yeah, I don't have a ton to say about Wonder Boy that hasn't been said. Just uh, I've always been impressed with his ability as a as a I don't know not traditionally oh you're re-entering the room for him um, <laughs> as, as a double. Um, I've always been impressed with him as a counter puncher, a very different kind of counter puncher than others. Um, more so, just like not like evading, like slipping and countering in an traditional boxing sense, but just kind of you know getting himself out of range and lacing people up with straights or, you know, running them into sidekicks, things like that. I've always been impressed with that. That's a, a lot of what he did to, like, Masvidal and Luque and uh, Neil a decent amount. And <clears throat> uh, the volume on it is impressive. His accuracy is impressive. Uh, the fact that he's still doing it uh, at his age is, is impressive. Uh, he impresses me in a lot of ways. It's just frustrating because uh, in different style matchups, like against Woodley, where he has to lead more uh, in order to do the same thing, um, he's a lot more gun shy, uh, a little bit worried uh, about counters and wrestling and you know, not as confident, I think, in his abilities. I think if you like put him in front of a person who wasn't doing anything and didn't have to worry about it, he could do some pretty cool stuff uh, on the lead with his hands. But it's just matchups, I think, uh, can, can affect him, uh, his approach in a decent way. Uh, Gilbert Burns isn't that kind of guy. Gilbert Burns, I'm going to move on to, into Gilbert Burns. Uh, <laughs> Gilbert Burns isn't that kind of guy. Um He's, he's a hoofed trained grappling based fighter. There's like 20 of those and uh, they're all very similar um, that they, you know, throw two threes and, you know, they're, they're working on some counters. They low kick, they, they round kick to the body. Um, they do some basic combinations, which is honestly more than you can say for a lot of strikers in MMA. They don't do these tried and true uh, combinations and counters, but uh, at his base, he's a very explosive uh, grappler uh, working on his wrestling a lot. One of the most improved wrestlers. I've seen from people that come over from sports jiu-jitsu um, and, and one that relies more on leg attacks than other uh, jiu-jitsu players I've seen, uh, you know, has worked a lot with, with pure wrestlers. Um, and that camp is really good for that. They have Greg Jones coaching down there. They have um, 
Kami Barzini coaching down there. They have a bunch of really great wrestlers in the gym. So if you're not getting better at wrestling at Hoof, then you're not working on it, honestly, because they have everyone you need uh, for that. It's kind of like how Dustin Poye made these huge leaps with his boxing when he started working with a boxer, uh, Daya Davis. So it's a very similar type of thing where these guys are going down there, actually training with wrestlers and becoming good. Same with uh, Kings MMA. Uh, those guys got all so much, so much better at wrestling when they trained with a wrestling coach, even though that guy was like a club coach working mostly with like high schoolers. Um, yeah. Like <laughs> wrestling and MMA, like they, they need that kind of work. Um, so I've always been impressed with that aspect of Gilbert Burns. He's a really good athlete. He's very strong gas tank, a little suspect. Uh, he does definitely drops off. I don't think it's cause he's in bad shape. I think his style is just very energy intensive. Uh, he throws everything super hard and, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, liable to fall off after some time just because of the way he fights. But I, I mostly like his game. I was impressed with his approach to Kamaru Usman. I think that was the full showing of his strengths and weaknesses. Um, he really put himself out there, really gave a, a good account of himself. <clears throat> was really, you know, spot on with the counters that he wanted to hit. Uh, threw him well, threw him at the right time, threw the right ones, nailed him. Uh, couldn't knock him out because Usman has a giant brick head. And um, yeah, then he you know, tried to get back to his usual game. He shot him a few times, didn't work and you know, fizzled out. Um, and you walked onto a bunch of straights, which is, I can see for sure. If you're like, okay, he walked onto Usman straights. That's going to happen against Wonderboy, probably. Um, but I'll, I'll circle back to myself from, from my prediction, but, uh, let, let's roll, let's run back through for Gilbert Burns thoughts. If you guys have them, uh, let's go, uh, Shuram, since you went most recently. Uh, yeah. I think Gilbert Burns was kind of an interesting fighter, uh, in like, he's kind of, uh, the quintessential hoof sort of fighter and that, you know, a lot of the guys that he gets are like grapplers first. And then he gives them like these really strong striking games that are like, they're not the prettiest or like really fancy, but they're very functional and they're kind of prosaic and it's fun how they're prosaic. They're like really distinctively prosaic, if that makes sense. Uh, and can you define prosaic for me? I mean, it's like the opposite of poetic and that okay. it's functional, but that's, that's, it's, that's, that's our zone, it's boring, man. but it works pretty much. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it, it's that sort of game. I think uh, a decent parallel is Vicente Luque, and that's not a drawback necessarily, but in a matchup with Wonder Boy, it looks like a drawback. Uh, but Gilbert Burns, as uh, Ed mentioned, he has the wrestling threat a lot more than Vicente Luque. He's got a really good drive. Uh, and I was actually really impressed with the way he approached Tyron Woodley. I mean, it, it's hard to be impressed by an approach to Tyron Woodley at this point in his career, because like, you know, pretty much everyone just had to do things to be Tyron Woodley at this point in his career. Mm. But, <laughs> but it's the sort of thing where I, I kind of enjoyed his win over Woodley a lot more than the two subsequent ones. Uh, and kind of over Usman, it was definitely less comprehensive than the Usman one, but it was a lot more fun and a bit more damaging to like the head, which people tend to enjoy. Uh, but yeah, he did a good job working into range in that fight. Uh, sort of used the lead leg kick threat and the jab to pick at him from range and enter range uh, to blast him with huge combinations in the pocket. Um, like that a lot. And I think it's the sort of approach where I, I'd need to see him pressure people a lot more like who don't want to be pressured, who don't back themselves up to the fence or maybe super convinced in him as a really effective pressure fighter. But the Usman fight did convince me a lot that he's uh, he at least nominally deserves to be, be where he is. I wasn't super convinced by, for instance, the Konchenko win. I don't really think it was a win at all, really. But he's done. he did enough good work in the, uh, in the Usman fight that I think he's a dangerous fight for a lot of guys. I, I, one, I really enjoyed that cross county landed early on Usman's jab. Two, I actually enjoyed how he uh, sort of played with 
attacks to uh, cut off Usman's takedown entries. Uh, he had this nice switch knee and he played the overhand counter off the uppercut to keep Usman from just shooting and using the jab as the change up there. So he has a good re- I mean, It might just be a teammate's thing where like, you know, Burns has fought Usman a lot of the time and he knows what Usman likes and what he doesn't like. And he just went in with a super specific thing that he could do for Usman and not anyone else. But if he puts that level of thought into this fight, I think it's one that he can make difficult. Uh, I'll keep the rest of the matchup portion. So on to whoever's next. Maybe two then. So what, what my thoughts on the matchup or on, or on Burns? Just, just Gilbert Burns. Burns, yeah, if you have any. <laughs> uh, I mean... Not much, but uh, Burns is kind of like one of those uh, like overall decent guys that uh, have managed to get their big break in uh, a division that is horrendously uh, like uh, mismanaged. <clears throat> and uh, overall, like he's a functional fighter. He's a solid grappler, like uh, a good, uh, decent kickboxer. Uh, I mean, he's a hoft fighter. What else can I say about him? He just... <laughs> He's decent at MMA. That's about the extent of what I can say about him. Uh, and as well, also, I could add that uh, man has one of the best, uh, one of the better meme games on MMA Twitter <laughs> out of MMA fighters themselves. So <laughs> that's, that's about the size of it. I mean, everything was covered fairly extensively by both of you. No problem. If you're good, uh, Zach, do you have thoughts on Gilbert Burns? And then you can go into the matchup if you'd like. Am I missing out by not following him on Twitter? I saw the one coffin meme. That was a good. I mean, he uh, he does have uh, his moments. That's that's how I would put it. So, (laughs) I mean, I guess it's kind of like a a tentative recommend to follow Gilbert Burns on Twitter. I mean, I think Gilbert Gilbert's a good fighter. Um, He's he's explosive. He throws a lot of hard power shots. He gets into range to throw him, and he can blast you if you're there. Uh, obviously a great grappler. Um, he can wrestle, but I don't think he's like especially adept at baiting people into takedowns uh, all the time. I think he, if he wanted to get his wrestling going, I think he would, he would struggle a bit unless he could like back into the cage or something. And um, yeah, I don't know, kind of a meat, meat potatoes, explosive guy, but I wouldn't say a fast guy. Uh, definitely dangerous. Like you don't want to let him clock you or, uh, or get you on the ground because I think he could he could snatch up a submission pretty quickly too. Um, I'm also not I'm a little concerned about his durability. He gets he gets hurt a fair bit, and then especially even with jabs. I mean I know Usman's got like a ramrod jab, but um, I don't know. I'll, I'll go right into the matchup. I guess I, I just see like. He, I don't see him being able to track Wonderboy down. I don't really see him being able to time uh, a clean counter on Wonderboy. Wonderboy enters with the the idea of the guy's going to be countering him in mind. So he's almost always already like offline or exiting and uh, baiting the next shot. If you throw your counter, he's going to counter that counter. I think he's just a little too crafty. I don't, I I think, I think Burns' chance would be to, to, to uh, get a takedown. I think he could probably, but I just, again, I don't see him being clever enough with his setups to track Wonderboy down and bait him into uh, to a clean takedown. So uh, I'm going to take Wonderboy either by decision or maybe a late stoppage if he's landing enough. Uh, yeah, because I, I think also Burns isn't the guy that's going to sit back and try to get Wonderboy to lead either. 
he's going to come at him. And that's kind of, that's kind of Wonder Boy's jam. You know, I thought Luke had a more methodical kind of pressure game. If, if he, if he was going to have trouble against one of those guys, I thought Luke was going to give him more trouble. I think Burns is maybe a little more dangerous with like one shot, but I think he's, he's going to be less likely to actually catch him with one. So I don't know. That's my thing. Back to Zuman. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think I'm overall in agreement. I don't think Gilbert Burns really has the skill sets to kind of like put put uh, things together in a way that would allow him to trap Wonderboy along the fence and uh, uh, exploit the weaknesses that I've uh, pointed out in the previous Wonderboy section, namely the stance problem, the uh, the leg kicks, the uh, the pocket. Uh, Gilbert Burns relies much more, uh, much more on single powerful shots. I'd, I'd say he does throw in combination, but he doesn't throw in combination all the time, and uh, uh, he doesn't really have this. Uh, doesn't really have an educated lead hand game, and uh, he doesn't really have the ability to just kind of like counter right off the bat, uh, as uh, he would be forced to against Wonder Boy. He did land a counter on Usman, but Uz- then again, Usman is not really like a striker first. So he's, Usman is still kind of like trying to learn striking on the job. And so it's kind of like, yeah, sure, Usman got clocked, but uh, will Wonderboy get clocked? I'd say only in the pocket. And uh, I mean, the only concern would be for me is that uh, Wonderboy is kind of like slowing down and uh, starting to age quite a bit. And that's where... Uh, Gilbert Burns may have an advantage as a more powerful, more explosive guy, but uh, but once again, Wonder Boy is uh, a really crafty uh, cage, uh, like a ring general, and so I don't think uh, Gilbert Burns' uh, cage cage craft is quite at the level at which he, he would be able to consistently track Wonder Boy down and hurt him unless Wonder Boy has uh, slowed down really, really badly, or like uh, some of the previous injuries that he's um, that he's taken uh, in the previous fights have taken their toll. So it's kind of like hard to predict. It's really generally hard to predict things like that, things like decline in certain fighters. But uh, with Wonderboy, it's reasonable to assume since he's uh, kind of like he's a veteran fighter. But still, uh, Wonderboy by, by decision still feels like a much safer pick uh, right here for me. How about you, Shuram? Yeah, I'm going to start out by saying I'm going to pick Wonder Boy, but that's mostly because I'm going to say a lot of nice things about Burns, and I don't want it to like you know kind of kind of color it. Uh, and I might change my mind, but I don't. I'm not sure I will uh, because I know Ed has a much better read on the wrestling matchup than I will, so I don't really know. But I think the striking's really bad for Burns. Um, we've seen him not really command the cage as strongly as I think fighters need to in order to uh, really beat Wonderboy. Uh, you know, guys like Damian Maya backed him off at will. Um, guys like Konchenko could buy space. It's not like the way to beat Wonderboy tends to be to command the cage better than he does. Someone like Darren Till did. And uh, guys like Tyron Woodley, at the very least, they controlled where the fight happened. Even if it's my back is on the fence and you have to come to me, they had an idea of where the fight was going to be. I don't really think Gilbert Burns has that. And if you're going to pressure, um, Wonderboy, you need a good idea of 
how you're going to approach doing that. Uh, someone like Vicente Luque, for instance, he had like some good ideas early in the fight where he started like levering off his lead hand to cut off the exit, uh, cross countering to push him back. I'm not really sure Gilbert Burns has that. Uh, he had like a decent cross counter on Usman, but it's not something super consistent. He's shown a left hook, but a lot of it is like, um, a lot of what he does, does is like after his opponent steps in, like lingers in the pocket for a second. Wonderboy isn't the type to really do that. So I think it's tough. I think Burns probably outkicks him. Uh, but also probably gets his kicks figured out later in the fight because I don't really think at kicking range uh, he's much one to really set his game up. If he gets Wonderboy against the fence, I think he's a decent threat, but I'm not really sure that's super likely. And um, yeah, I hope he does better than I think. Uh, Wonderboy is kind of an, uh, an age liability, at least a little bit at welterweight. He's like 38. so And his style is kind of dependent on reasonably thin margins. So it's going to be tough for him, I think. I think he's going to take a couple shots, a couple leg kicks, maybe a couple counters. But it's going to be a fight that looks like a Wonder Boy fight more than a Burns fight. And uh, maybe he can win against the run of play like Pettis did, but I wouldn't count on it. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to go in a second. But uh, before that, uh, Zach has to roll out and teach some private MMA lessons, I believe, because he is a coach at Finishers in uh, Northeast Pennsylvania. Uh, anything to say? Before you depart, no, appreciate being all of you guys. Fun as- mm-hmm. Still waiting for you to come visit, train, train with us, Ed. Pretty soon, pretty soon. I'm competing at the end of the summer, early fall, so I'll definitely come up a few times before then. All right, cool. Get beat up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Zach. Right. Sweet. Thanks, Thanks Zach. everyone, Zach. Good to see you. Yeah. All righty. So, last last thing on Burns, Wonder Boy. Uh, yeah, so I, I am going to pick Gilbert Burns, and I don't, I'm not deluded to think that he's going to outstrike Wonder Boy or even do well enough from the feet to win there in any sense. Like, I don't think he's going to like blitz him and catch him, but I don't know. Like, I could see him uh, pressuring a bit, you know, not throwing too much. Cause I mean, you have to actually, you know, put yourself in front of Wonder Boy for him to start countering you. So he could pressure a little bit more lightly than usual, uh, throw low kicks, which is the thing that he does. Um, and he throws them I mechanically like him and Luke, similar issues, I would say, but Burns throws them harder. So that's like automatically going to be helpful, um, that, that he can, you know, cut off exits a little bit better. And I think just Especially get, against an aging fighter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's, that's the, I don't know. That's the, the whole, the lining of this whole, uh, matchup is that like everything that would work is going to work better and things that would work for Wonder Boy might not work as well as usually. Like it's, it's a constant taking a little bit away um do you from, see from any avenues game. for him for burns in wrestling and you know, that's or in yeah that's what, that's what i'm talking about so i think he's gonna he's gonna be pressuring him uh low kicking a little bit to, to cut off exits to get a little bit better of a shot linearly to the cage and if they're anywhere near the cage i don't think burns needs to pressure him all the way to the cage because his shot is so explosive it's a really it's a useful shot it's also flawed that like he doesn't have like chain mechanics. He doesn't really have good finishing mechanics, but he's got a really great drive on it and, and a really explosive entry. So like not really good setups, but Wonder Boy is not like gonna punish you a lot for shooting on him. He's just gonna he he's decent at, at getting out of bad leg attacks, and usually his style makes you take bad bad leg attacks. You can't get close enough to him, but it's kind of like a nice matchup for Burns in that sense that he can shoot from far away, make contact drive Wonder Boy back enough that they're now they're on the cage. And Wonder Boy is just not good enough in the cage where it's not going to be like large sections of the fight where Burns has him pressed up there. 
And I think Burns, you know, actually is a decent clinch fighter. I don't think he's going to get like a ton done there, but like he can chain into upper body takedowns. Uh, he has some, some nice judo in his arsenal as well. And I think you know, he can transition back to leg attacks and just, you know, go single and, you know, just make a lot of the fight on the cage. And the reason I'm really convinced of that is because Jeff Neal did it. So if Jeff Neal did it, I think a better wrestler and grappler than that is going to have an okay time doing that. So it's not a super confident read. Like Zach said, uh, the durability is a huge question mark. Like, is he just going to get sat in his butt the first time he walks into one of uh, Wonder Boy straights? Quite possibly, quite possibly. But I see this. I see this where, where Burns wrestling style actually does match up pretty well. Um, this is a big cage event, right? Yeah, it is. All right. So that yeah, makes, it's a pay-per-view. That, that makes it a bit tougher. That's definitely more difficult, but I think he can do that. Um, and I just think he's, you know, the younger, I and mean, he's not, he's not that young, but he is the younger guy, especially in miles, um, guy. And I, I think, you know, he's very athletic and some people threw out the possibility that he just like explodes in and, you know, catches wonder boy. And I'm like, I think we're not quite there yet. And wonder boy's career where that's possible. Um, but he hasn't fallen far enough for, for that to happen. I think. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a sort of, I think that's one of the bigger concerns I have about Burns is that a lot of his ways of driving opponents back tends to be like these huge rage. Uh, he did that against like, I don't remember who he did that against, but a lot of lightweight, he did it, uh, he did it a lot. Uh, I think he's sharpened that up at least a little bit. He didn't do it as much against Tyron Woodley, obviously. Uh, he didn't do it a ton against Kamaru, excuse me, Kamaru Usman. But Wonderboy is kind of a dangerous guy to do that against, and the way that he fights tends to convince guys to approach him in a reckless way because they can't get close to him. Uh, and especially with the double leg, I think it's kind of tough because of how bladed uh, Wonderboy's stance is. You can't really get to his hips as easily. Uh, but... Yeah, I think it's an interesting enough fight considering the wrestling dynamic. I hope Burns gets it done. Yeah. Manifested it. I think, think it's just that kind of thing where he doesn't actually need to take him down with those double legs. It's just a, a tool to, to get the fight to the cage where I think he, he, can, he can win. He can win the fight on the cage. So that's an interesting fight. Uh, whoever wins it will, mm, I shouldn't say that. If Burns if wins it, he yeah. might have one more to get another title shot, um, especially if like, it's your teammate. Like You don't necessarily want to fight them again that quickly. Um, if Wonderboy wins, he's getting a title shot for sure. So that is not that interesting to me because I, I think we're at the point where Wonderboy is a lot less interesting for Usman than he would have been a few years ago. <clears throat> but it's still it's something unique that we haven't really seen for Usman yet. So I'm Yeah, that's the, that's the general problem with the welterweight, isn't it? Is that uh, it's just Usman and everyone else. And mm-hmm. like you're just kind of sort of trying to scramble for guys who would at least offer something new and interesting for Usman. And that's why... Wonder Boy is, I mean, kind of sort of compelling for Usman in that way. Yeah, yeah someone just... can make it look like Usman's knees are actually going when they go. A lot of people. <laughs> I've been wouldn't... hearing about these knees for a long time, <laughs> waiting to see. I know. It's like if Usman's knees explode against Covington, it's just not even going to matter. Where against Leon or Wonder Boy, it might actually matter. So that's compelling. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, last thing before we go. I mean, this luckily for us, and unfortunately for people who are going to watch the entire thing, uh, this card sucks. And there's really only two, you know, high level competitive fights where both the people are interesting and worth talking about on this card. They really phoned it in for the rest of it. I mean, I think I mean, you know, they... in terms of what you enjoy, there could be a lot, but in terms of what we're talking about, no, there's not a lot to talk about. They always do that for Conor McGregor headlines. You don't need cards. to, right? Yeah. It's just they're, Conor wasting, McGregor. they're wasting people by putting good people on these cards because you get all the value you need just out of having Conor as the headliner. But anyway, there is one fight that I do want to talk about um, 
I'm going to do it. Uh, so Ilya Toporia, perhaps the best prospect in the UFC, uh, you know, and prospect as in only has what, two, three UFC fights now. Uh, too right also um, still hasn't uh, still doesn't have a wikipedia page <laughs> still no wikipedia page uh he's fighting ryan hall and this is a very very nice matchup because ryan hall either was ranked or is ranked or is somebody who will probably be ranked if he wins the most <laughs> the most ducked and avoided fighter in all of history yeah. in mma nobody wants to fight this yeah you look at him, grappler he, that's he's basically kamaru ushman but white yeah yeah but <laughs> ryan hall had a, a pretty decent uh sport jiu-jitsu competitive background came into mma and we were talking about the other day on twitter that his approach to mma was not it's you know, it's funny. I'm pretty sure he's like a, a very anti-Gracie guy. I might be making that up, but it's just funny because his thing is very Gracie that he wants to like show the applications of, of his style of jujitsu and not really like become an MMA fighter. So he, he takes as many shortcuts as he needs to, to not fully learn MMA and, and become this nuanced fighter. So like the, the Gray Maynard fighter, like the Darren Elkins fight or like the BJ Penn fight, like those are very good representations of what he does is he can kick on the outside and it, the kicks are effective if your chin is bad because you don't want to get hit in the face by a kick. If you have a terrible chin, like gray Mander is someone who like really could not take a shot at all at that point. So he really had to respect the kicking Darren Elkins, someone who was famously durable, apparently was also <laughs> somebody that could not take a shot. And I don't think it's a Ryan Hall kicks very hard thing. I think it's these guys had very poor chins at the time thing and BJ Penn similar deal. Uh, but also, against all these people he can kick from the outside and then when he doesn't want to be kicking from the outside or you pressure him or he decides he wants to grapple now doesn't need to waste his time with that wrestling nonsense taking his imanari role and he's in 50 50 he's in some sort of leg lock leg entanglement position he can start to work his game where he's best um problem is leg locking and sport jiu-jitsu is definitely the meta right now and you can work through a lot of different positions and i'm not gonna pretend to be an expert on it i'm not but in MMA, it's so different because a lot of these static positions you have to work through, you can get punched in those. Uh, and just being on top is so much more of, of a good thing, so much more of an incentive that if you just prioritize just being on top and don't try to score points or do anything, it's a lot easier to get through those situations. So it's not like a hyper, you know, hypothetical of like what happens when someone can just be on top of Ryan Hall and not have this happen. It's happened already. Um, if you don't know, he was on the Ultimate Fighter. And he lost uh, before the finale to this guy, Saul Rogers, uh, who's not doing so well right now. But Saul Rogers is British, first of all. So it's not like some like, guy with great wrestling credentials. Uh, but he's a, he's a pretty decent grappler, Saul Rogers is. He just got tapped by uh, Mads Brunel, who is much better than Ryan Hall. Um, he, he's Topuria tier of, uh, of talent, I believe. Um, but yeah, Ryan Hall's lost on, on bottom before. So it's not like if they're grappling, he is automatically very dangerous and going to win. Like, there are severe limitations to the style. And Ilya Toporia is a better grappler than Saul Rogers. Uh, Ilya Toporia is a grappler. That is his, his, uh, his base. Uh, he's a very good grappler out of Georgia, training in Spain, uh, living in Spain and training in Spain. And he comes to America a bit. But Toporia being a grappler, uh, having a really good front headlock choke series, just being a very good submission grappler in general, makes this already a really tough matchup for Hall. And he's like, okay, what's going to happen on the feet? Well, it just so happens that Toporia is also looking like puncher. already one like first of all a massive <laughs> puncher and you know it, turning out to be probably already one of the better boxers in the ufc by virtue of just doing normal boxing stuff and applying you know 
basics and fundamentals to being a really athletic, really physical uh, guy who hunts the body relentlessly, really, really I mean, unforgiving body puncher. And I, I think he's going to beat the crap out of Ryan Hall, who got pressure boxed by BJ Penn. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, all these people who come to MMA, especially from grappling backgrounds, always try to find some kind of like weird shortcuts or a meta they can exploit. But I mean, really, if you want to get good at MMA, just fight normal. <laughs> Literally just fight normally, please. <laughs> Learn fundamentals. Do what Tapuria does. I think it was an experiment <laughs> on Hall's part. And, you know, he, he, I think he has a different agenda than just being the best fighter he can I mean, be. True. So more power yes. to you if that's what you want to yes. do, but it's dumb. Yes, but uh, <laughs> yeah. still, if you want to get far, if you want to be successful at MMA and not just prove some kind of point or sell instructionals for leg locks, Right. Yeah, it's better to do what Tapuria does and uh, just get good. Be good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really have much of an opinion on this fight just because you know Tapuria kill. Um, that's I guess that's an opinion, but it's not a particularly nuanced opinion just because I don't have a nuanced opinion on Ryan uh, Hall. Uh, I enjoyed the Gray Maynard fight way more than I should have just because it was absolutely hilarious. But it got very old by the Darren Elkins fight because like Elkins was someone who probably should have beaten him uh, if he'd bothered to like hang out on top. Like he showed decent enough submission defense that he probably could have just hung out on top in that fight, but he was just like deathly afraid of doing anything. And, you know, he got kicked a lot because he was afraid of really pressuring uh, Hall past a certain point. So I don't really think Tupuri is going to struggle a ton in this fight. And if he does, it's kind of like losing to Neil Magny. Like I won't really be sad because you were bad enough to lose to Ryan Hall, Uh, but (laughs) he should win. He's exciting. uh... He's a good prospect. And it'd be kind of sad to see that turn out to be wrong. Imagine, imagine if Ryan Hall develops some kind of voodoo magic, the same that Neil Magny has. <laughs> just, Everyone just 50 50 you, you want to 50 50 with me? You want to uh, leg entangle me? Ooh. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Hall's from like 20 minutes away from me. So I feel like I have to support him. I just don't. His style doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just. Uh, like uh, I'm gonna preface this uh, with uh, the fact that I'm rooting for Tapuria, but I'm uh, I'm gonna pick Ryan Hall by via Siluev stretch in the second round as a joke. Okay. <laughs> I'll hold that against you. I definitely will. If anything happens, it's a hundred percent your fault. So and also, if you're <laughs> wrong, yeah, sure. you're wrong. Sure. Enjoy having that on your conscience. <laughs> Killed a prospect with a uh, joke. Uh, that's why Fans I exist. That's why MMA. I employed. We control these things. Jokes are now real. The things we yeah, say on j- the Fight Sites MMA podcast have a direct influence on, on the course of the fights. If you don't believe yeah, me, the- I personally have been responsible for uh, career resurgences in technique uh, from Cody Garbrandt and uh, the Korean Zombie. So I and think uh, Conor listen. McGregor this weekend also. That's going to happen. I messed up releasing that article early in the week because now Connor's going to read it and he's going to be like, oh, I have time to drill this. And he's going to actually do it and he's going to take Dustin down and Dustin's going to say guillotine. And uh, it won't work because his legs will be bundled together because of the uh, because of the technique. It's the perfect uh, Dustin Poirier killer. Um, it's right there. It's right under his nose. The perfect game plan. Um, guy's going to pressure himself. Let, let you pressure him to the cage. And then he's going to stand up straight because he doesn't like the shoulder strikes. And then he's going to put his legs together. And then he's going to try to guillotine you if you try to double him. And you just do that over and over and you top game him. Uh, Five rounds. Five rounds, Connor. 
<laughs> Sana couldn't do that for one round at most. No, <laughs> but I think it's gonna be like the Garbrandt fight where uh, he takes my advice and he does it for as long as he can. He says, oh, "I mean, it's too much work." I think it's, it's boxed gonna, up. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna be funny if uh, Connor, like, yeah, exactly. Connor is gonna take down Dustin Poirier a bunch of times and then gas himself out, and then Dustin Poirier is just gonna Habib him, <laughs> just pound him out. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean. This is just us coming up with uh, funny scenarios for the fights. Funny scenarios that will happen, like how Dustin Poirier is going to top game Charles Oliveira. Um, it's going to look a lot like the, the Felder fight, in fact. It's uh, very, very interesting. And, and, you know, Oliveira might even be winning on the feet. Um, but, yeah, Poirier is going to win with, with ground and pound. Or he's going to – he might submit him as well, uh, but he's going to win on, on top. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Poirier got guillotine. Oliveira got guillotine before. The more I'm thinking, I'm thinking Doris. Thinking Doris. Very possible. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah, I think we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the Fight States MMA podcast. This is our uh, UFC 264 prediction panel. Made some predictions on three fights, and those are the ones that matter. And uh, if you want – information on every other fight in the card literally every other fight in the card uh go check out our ufc 264 full preview uh done by fanyo and dan albert and they did a good job i'd say given the circumstances of how you do this card yeah 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 all right <laughs> they they've done their best to come up with some thoughts about fights that uh, can that cannot be quantified at all <laughs> in any way shape or form They're literally braver than the troops. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone.